Welcome to episode number 36 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're creating a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and today's episode, we're talking about the hierarchy of controls. We talked about applying the hierarchy of controls to combustible dust safety with Jeff Nichols back in episode 23 of the podcast. On today's episode, it will be a solo show with just myself. We'll just be going through the fundamental concepts. We brought this up time and time again, really, on the podcast over the last 35 episodes. I just want to give us a place to to point back to, to say this is kind of the lay of the land for what the hierarchy controls look like, and then to give you as the listener the kind of inside information, or just the, the layout of what this fundamental process looks like. So by way of getting started, what is the hierarchy of controls? So this is a way to rank different hazard control methods, and they're ranked from most effective to least effective. So why is this important to think about? Well, it's because we actually see implementation of hazard control generally in the opposite direction that the hierarchy controls call for. For example, wear your safety glasses. This is a PPE recommendation of personal protective equipment, and it's really shown to be the least effective way to to safely engage in a task or safely remove the, the hazard. Um, generally, the, ha- the hierarchy controls is seen as an inverted triangle with the, the most effective parts on top and the least effective parts on the bottom. And we'll include an image from NIOSH that kind of shows that in the, the show notes for this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 36. So there are five elements of the hierarchy controls, starting at the most effective, this kind of wide base at the top of the inverted triangle, is elimination. The second element is substitution. The third element is engineering controls. And the fourth element is administrative controls. And the fifth element is personal protective equipment. So you can kind of further subdivide these five elements into inherently safer design. This is your elimination and your substitution. We'll actually, in the in the podcast episode here, break this down even a little bit further into inherent safety design. And then there's the rest of the elements, engineering controls, administrative, and PPE. And there's not actually a good name for this chunk. The opposite of inherently is hard to define. Another word might be intrinsic. So intrinsic safety would be something that's inherent, that's built right in. Uh, if you eliminate the hazard, if you don't have, say, a, a fuel at the facility, then you eliminate the fire explosion hazard. That's inherently safer. But the opposite of that might be intrinsic or extrinsic safety. And some other words that we've heard this called is like applied safety or even bolt-on safety. So these are procedures. These are actually things you're bolting on your equipment or protective things that you're adding afterwards, protective equipment that you're adding afterwards once you already have a hazard to kind of stop it from either resulting in a large consequence or from reducing its impact on your workers. So again, there's not a really great name for this, the opposite of inherent safety. But the first two elements, elimination, substitution, Followers classification of being inherently safer design. And then the other three are really this bolt-on safety, engineering controls, administrative controls, personal protective equipment. So in this episode, I'm just going to walk through the different five elements and just give some examples of what they look like. Again, this is just to give an idea of what the hierarchy controls look like overall. So the most effective hazard control method, and the question that we should be all asking ourselves anytime we're, we're evaluating our own risk, evaluating the hazards at our facility or, or evaluating someone else's, is can we eliminate the hazard? Can we remove it altogether? This is not adding something on to make it less severe. Uh, This is actually removing the material. And a good example of this is what you don't have can't explode, which is a quote by the late Trevor Klutz. He showed an example in his autobiography of an engineer overlooking a large nitroglycerin container. 
and how 20 years later, they no longer had to store nitroglycerin at that same facility because they improved their processes. They improved their upstream and downstream processes so that the flow through, you could use just as much nitroglycerin as you needed and you didn't need to store an intermediate vat. So they were able to completely remove that hazard of storing that nitroglycerin. There are examples of this in the combustible dust world where you may be able to remove a sawdust storage silo if you can improve your incoming raw material operations and improve your, your effective use of that material out. There may be other examples as well of, of eliminating the hazards from combustible dust. A good example of this might be if you are running a testing lab and you no longer need your materials, if you're done testing them, you shouldn't be storing them on site because then you have a hazard there. If you dispose of them appropriately, then you'd be eliminating that hazard. So that's the first element of the hierarchy controls. The second element is substitution. So this is replacing the hazard with a, a less hazardous option. If you look at some of the key textbooks in Inherently Safer Design, things like Process Plants, a handbook for Inherently Safer Design by Dr. Trevor Kletz and Dr. Paul Amiot. It's covered in Dr. Amiot's book, An Introduction to Dust Explosions. He outlines some, some parts of Inherently Safer Design, and some of them fall under this substitution category and the elimination as well. They're both inherently safer. But substitution can be broken out into minimization, uh, substituting the material. So minimization is reducing the amount of material. Substitution is actually substituting the material. Moderation, changing the operating conditions. And simplification, avoiding unnecessary complexity and opportunities for error. So the first part of substitution, this minimization, can we minimize the amount of material? Again, maybe we only need to be running tests on a smaller amount and we don't need to keep kilogram buckets of the material at our at our test and research laboratories. Can we generate less dust external to pieces of equipment? Can we have a, a planer that actually generates less dust around it? And you could even maybe think of cleaning up the dust as minimization, although this is almost falling to the realm of administrative controls. And we'll talk about at the end of this podcast episode, where does inherent safety start to turn into this applied safety design? And we'll, we'll talk about that at the end. So that's minimization, substitution. Can we substitute the material? Can we use a less reactive material or even an inert material? Can we substitute the equipment we're using? Can we switch from bucket elevators to dense phase conveyance or some other conveying system? Can we move to a larger particle size if the particle size is a, a operating parameter we can change. This moves us into moderation. Can we change the operating conditions? Can we run at lower temperatures? Can we add in inert dust to the dust layers? You see this in coal mines where you add limestone to the dust layers to make it no longer reactive. Can we change the operating conditions like adding an inert gas so that you can't actually have an explosion? Again, some of these may border on engineering controls and some of these may border on administrative controls and we'll talk a bit about that. But if done right, they can lead to inherently safer solution. Simplification is the last part of inherent safety design by substitution. This is really avoiding unnecessary complexity and opportunities for error. So simplifying our design, simplifying our plant layout, simplifying our safety solutions, our engineering control safety solutions, may all be ways to have an inherently safer system at the end of the day. So that covers elimination and substitution, these first two components of the hierarchy controls. And that really sums up the inherently safer approaches to, to hazard reduction or hazard control. Now we're going to talk about applied safety or bolt-on safety or this, this other safety that we don't have a great name for in this episode. And I'll give you the opportunity at the end of the show to, to reach out and let me know what you think this category should be called. So the first of these is engineering controls. So this is where we spend a lot of our time as mechanical engineers, as chemical engineers, as people involved with NFPA and people involved with uh, 
dust explosion prevention and protection. This is things like ignition control, deflagration venting, suppression, all these different approaches that are technological solutions to increasing safety. So how do we stop something that's happening from getting worse from escalating? How do we prevent something that's happened from hurting people? These are all engineering controls. And you can kind of see just from the, the way we're describing it that it's less effective than elimination and substitution because something has to happen. If, you have, if you've eliminated the hazard, something can't happen. But if you allow the hazard to exist and put an engineering control on it, it has to happen first, be triggered, and whatever you trigger then needs to trigger the response system, whatever that is. So that'd be an active engineering control. There are passive engineering controls, which are slightly kind of higher up the effectiveness chain, but in overall, they're, they're not as effective as inherent safety approaches. So I want to come back to this example of the nitroglycerin tank that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and you can see a picture of this in this autobiography of Trevor Kletz. He has an example, I think, from the 50s of this same facility. They have this really large nitroglycerin tank, and they have an engineer watching the gauges on the tank, and he's sitting on a one-legged stool. So the purpose of the one-legged stool is so that he can't fall asleep because the, the job's so boring of sitting there looking at the dials for hours and hours. And if he does fall asleep, then the, the stool will fall over and he'll wake up. That is an example of an engineered control. Uh, that's an engineered system that will trigger if something wrong or is potentially going wrong. That always stuck in the back of my mind when I thought about engineering controls versus elimination. If you don't need the tank, then you can get rid of it. But if you have this engineer sitting on watching with a one-legged stool as your sensor, then that's, a, that's an example of an engineered control or an engineered solution to that uh, system. The fourth element of the hierarchy controls is administrative controls. And these are you know rules, regulations, policies, checklists, notes stuck on piece of equipment, general guidelines that everybody knows but maybe nobody follows. And you can kind of tell just from the way I'm describing it, there's there's some difficulties here and some questions that you need to ask to actually about the effectiveness of administrative control is it really depends on this implementation. Some questions might be, how much time or expense is there for the administrative control? How much does it add? And if it's none or if it's less time to do it this way, then that's great because that means it's likely to happen. But if there's a big time suck or a big expense suck to do this administrative control, it's probably not going to get done. And you hear this time and time again, something happens. And then you end up blaming the employees saying, oh, they should have known, they should have done this when nobody at the facility actually does that in real practice. So if you compare your administrative controls through to what you actually see people doing in your facility every day, you get an idea just how effective an administrative control might be. And administrative controls really start to go down when you have high stress situations. So if you're under a time crunch, if people are doing lots of overtime, if they need to just get it done this one time, you see how easy it is to sidestep an administrative control and just go ahead and, and do it, and this can lead to, to safety issues. And that brings us all the way around to the least effective of the, the hazard control methods and the hierarchy controls. That's personal protective equipment. So this is things like wearing safety glasses, things like you know wearing fireproof or fire-resistant clothing. And the reason that's the least effective is it actually has both engineered control and administrative control elements. The protective equipment needs to be engineered correctly. So it needs to be specced against the hazards that are potentially there. You have fire resistant material, how fire resistant is it? So you need to have, a, it has an engineering component. Also has an administrative component. You need to wear the gear. So because it has both of these mixed right into it, it is obviously, you know, at least a lesser of an effective approach because you got to have it correctly designed and you have to have the right administrative in place. So 
this is why it's really at the bottom of the totem pole. It's really important still. And this can sometimes be your, you know, your your bottom line. If you can't get any of the other, if you can't use any other methods, then this might be the way to go. And you see this with firefighters. Firefighters wear fire retardant or fire resistant material because sometimes they can't, you know, they have to go into the burning building. And maybe there's some administrative controls, but there's a high likelihood that they can have backflash or that they can have something happen where their PPE is going to be their last line of defense. But if you, you know, if you treat your your operation, if you treat your processing operation as a live fire situation, say everybody's got we wear PPE gear, well, it's probably showing that you you haven't looked at the other hierarchy controls. So I want to just take a little bit of time, and this will be a quicker episode, but to talk about when does minimization, substitution, simplification, and moderation no longer be inherently safer, but actually move into the realm of applied safety design. And you can see this with, you know, we mentioned dust control or cleaning up the dust as maybe minimization, but is it administrative? Is somebody responsible for cleaning that up? And, and are they, is it possible that they won't? So some questions to, to ask yourself if you have put these in place and you're calling them inherently safer design. Is it truly inherent or is it being forced? Is there some external thing holding people's feet to the fire to make them do it? And if it is, then it's probably administrative control. Is there a technology component that needs to go right, that needs to work? If it is, and that's probably an engineering control, it's probably not inherently safer. One way I like to think of this is, does it fail safe or is the failure condition the negative? This is like a toaster. If the spring goes in a toaster, then the, the lever falls down and, and the toaster stays on forever and eventually burns down the hose. So if your hazard control method has a, has a component where it fails on the negative side, things like creating an inert environment, if the, the engineering component that fails that's creating that, then you may not have an inherently safer design. You might have an engineering control. So it's just important to, to be aware that, that elimination substitution are inherently safer, but you need to do it in the, the right way and not kind of have an administrative aspect or an engineering aspect, or you start decreasing the effectiveness overall. So that's it of this, for this episode of the Dust Safety Science Podcast, a little shorter episode this week, but I just wanted to go through these kind of fundamental elements of the hierarchy controls, so we've, we kind of see them coming up again and again. So what I want to leave with is what do you think? How often do you see the hierarchy of controls applied when you're actually implementing safety solutions? How often do we start by asking, can we just remove this hazard, or do we just start by accepting that dust has to be everywhere in this facility or it has to be inside this piece of equipment? And I know there's a lot of caveats and there's a lot of industries out there. And the only thing I'm kind of trying to recommend is that we just at least ask the question. It may be, no, we can't eliminate it because of X, Y, Z. You should document that and then start going down through the hierarchy. Okay, can we do the next saber thing, the next most festive thing, effective thing? Like I said, if you get to the point where you're a firefighter and you're going into a facility, at the end of the day, personal protective equipment may be your last line of resort. So... Some other questions I have, again, what do you think about inherently safer design? How's it being applied? What is the opposite of inherently safer design? I call it applied or bolt-on safety here. I hope that name doesn't catch on. I'm sure some people that are brighter than I am can think of the opposite. Um, intrinsic and extrinsic safety, maybe. That's kind of alienating too, so I'm still trying to figure that out. Like I, I've said before in the podcast, I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to ask the questions. So that's why I'm putting that out to the community here. So you can get the show notes for this episode. Again, we'll show the the image of the inverted hierarchy controls triangle there. You can get an idea what that looks like at dustsafetyscience.com slash 36. If you have any thoughts or comments or questions, you can email me at chris at dustsafetyscience.com or go to dustsafetyscience.com slash ask, A-S-K, and ask them there. We'll talk about that 
further, we'll bring an expert on to talk about it. As always, I want to thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead, and I really appreciate the work that you're doing across all these safety methods and reducing the hazards and controlling the hazards that are involved in powder handling industries around the world. 